Hello and welcome to the Optimus Wellbeing Podcast. In this podcast series, we will be speaking to various educational professionals and people with lived experience to discuss a range of topics that are affecting the mental health and well-being of teachers and pupils. We will also be looking at practical strategies that can be used to improve well-being in schools. In today's episode, we'll be looking at body image. So body image is how we see ourselves and what we believe about our own appearance. And our perception of ourselves can lead to us either having a positive view or a negative view of our body. We are increasingly hearing more and more about negative body image, particularly amongst teenagers. A survey published by the Mental Health Foundation last year found that almost one third of teenagers felt ashamed in relation to their body image and over a third had stopped eating at some point or restricted their diet because of concerns over the way they look. So in today's episode, I wanted to find out what exactly is causing negative body image amongst young people and how does this vary between boys and girls? I also wanted to look into eating disorders, some of the myths surrounding eating disorders and ways to support our pupils. Joining us today is Martin Staniforth, Ayu Awatona and Gemma Oten. Martin works as a catalyst for the Dove Self-Esteem Project, helping to create a range of body image resources for teachers, parents and young people. Ayo is an author, international speaker and educator who specialises in confidence building for girls and young women and Gemma is a former Emmerdale actress and eating disorder expert. She regularly speaks to audiences around the UK about eating disorder awareness and is a patron of her parents' eating disorder charity Seed. Martin, when we think about body image, whether that's negative or positive, why do we tend to think about girls rather than boys? I think with body image, we tend to focus on girls more than boys because it seems that perhaps women have been, for whatever reason, have been um, perhaps picked on as an audience to go and sell stuff to based upon appearance more so than boys. However, what I would say is that increasingly things are changing and perhaps boys are catching up as well. So uh, if you just take a look at the kind of world around us and see how things are being sold, often it is uh, using a kind of um, a female visual ideal is used as part of the selling structure rather than the male um, visual ideal. It's probably quite complicated as to why that, as to why that happens, but uh, there just seems to be kind of yeah much more pressure on on women to um, try and conform or be made to conform to a certain stereotype or an idea uh, appearance ideal um, than there is kind of for for boys. Whether that's because um, you know, women naturally want to look a certain kind of way, or whether because society in inverted commas tells women that they should look a certain way is a debatable point but it certainly seems to be that uh, yeah women are under more pressure than the men are and you know I mean just take a look at down the high street next time you're walking down the high street look at what people are wearing um, perhaps on a summer's day you know women would tend to be wearing and I'm generalizing massively here but women would tend to be kind of wearing clothing that's more kind of physically revealing than the blokes are now, why why has that happened? What's led to us having that as a normal way of being? Why do men tend to wear looser trousers and women tend to wear tighter trousers? What's going on there? 
that I think that I think when we start to unpack that question, that shows us why there's a need to perhaps support women and girls um, on their body confidence journey. And what are the factors contributing to negative body image in boys? I guess it's the desire to want to fit in or the pressure to get people to fit in. And to be honest, this is actually true for girls as well, really. Um, so, uh, so many people, perhaps all people really, um, want to feel that we belong to some kind of group, some kind of tribe, that we are kind of OK, that we are normal, that we are accepted, that we are loved. Uh, and how do we get that kind of validation? I mean, the best way to get that kind of validation is just by being told by people whom we respect that um, that we are OK as we are and that we are loved for who we are. That's the best way. But unfortunately, often those simple words don't get shared with people or they don't get shared frequently enough. And therefore, people think there are other things they have to go and do to kind of um, fit in. So um, we see that kind of uh, with boys now, increasingly um, in the Western world, they are receiving the message that the way they are meant to be is, you know, with kind of large muscles and six packs and looking physically strong. Uh, without kind of naming any particular titles, you know, there are kind of certain men's health magazines which kind of um, over the years have changed their front covers from fairly normal looking blokes to now guys who are just massively bulked up and it's creating the impression that that is the normal way to be without a doubt some some young men do have particularly you know muscular a-framed figures but it really is not the norm and i think if we can get more young men to understand actually there's a natural variety of body shapes and that that is okay, then that will make people feel much more confident about the reality as to what they are like really. What can schools do to promote positive body image in boys? Schools can do a lot of work to promote positive body image in boys. Um, and I'm sure they already are doing this, but they can do, do a lot more as can all parts of society. So I think the key thing is just to take every opportunity to remind the individuals that they are OK just as they are. So, you know, it's normal to look different to the person sitting next to you. It's normal to have different qualities and abilities from the person next to you. Um, it's normal to have a different point of view when you're asked a question about something from the person next to you. And what a wonderful thing it is to have diversity um, in ideas, in appearance, in abilities. I mean, just imagine a world where all boys were exactly the same. That would be so, so dull. And we do have a bit of a conundrum here that on the one hand, boys do want to kind of fit in with the group around them and yet also do want to be individuals. And those two things are really um, quite quite opposite and yet are present in our minds at the same kind of time. So how can we help young boys to, to kind of feel good about the way that they look? I think actually quite often it's taking the conversation away from appearance is a really good thing to do. There's far too much focus these days in society on the way that one looks as if that is the most important thing. 
I'm not going to say it's not important. It should, it's part of being who we are, but it is absolutely not everything. And I think the more that we can talk about kind of qualities and attributes of individuals and celebrate those, the better that things are. So, for instance, if, if one can praise one child for their ability to, you know, always kind of pass the football around on the football pitch rather than just passing it to one person all the time, then that's a great thing to go and kind of celebrate someone's ability to go and share in sport. Or if one can praise another boy for, um, you know, his ability to um, politely hold the door open and stand aside for other people and to think of others before himself sometime, that again is a great quality to go and do, to, 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 to have and to go and praise. And in doing that kind of thing repeatedly, by giving specific yeah, really specific, meaningful compliments to individuals that helps people to, to understand that there's much more to them that is appreciated than the way that they physically appear on a particular day. There's another thing for boys as well, which is I think in society today, there seems to be this expectation that boys should be strong. And if we kind of unpack what do we mean by strong? So sure, that might be about having big big muscles, but it might also be about kind of standing tall and not crying and absolutely not showing that one has feelings or inner vulnerabilities. Clearly, that is not a very helpful way to be because that is that is going against what it is to be a human being. And I think if we can encourage boys to be more vulnerable and to accept vulnerability and to be comfortable with being vulnerable, that is a fantastic thing that actually builds um, confidence and kind of, you know, really kind of ladders up to um, improving our, um, our kind of mental robustness as well. So what does that mean to kind of help boys to express vulnerability or be comfortable with vulnerability? It's talking about feelings. So um, I notice often in schools when I ask students you know, how they feel about a certain thing, often the question they answer is, what do they think about a certain thing? And I have to really push hard to, answer, to get to answer what do they feel about things. Helping young people to understand that feelings are natural and important and powerful and are there to be listened to is a really valuable thing to do. So getting young people to understand you know, where about or, or, to, or to notice where about do they feel things in their bodies? Do they feel things in their guts or in their in their chest or in their arms so it's talking about when they have those feelings and what's it like for them and what do those feelings perhaps indicate and then what are we going to do as a result of those feelings these are all really really powerful discussions to have that help individuals feel more comfortable with being the wonderful people that they really are now i want to shift the focus onto girls and see if there's many differences or similarities to what we've just covered on boys io What's causing negative body image amongst girls? There are quite a lot of contributing factors to negative body image for girls. I would say a massive one is social media, and not just social media as a whole, but the perfect image that's portrayed on social media. So a lot of girls aspire to look like that because that seems to be the foundation. Um, I believe TV shows as well, the media. And also, another contributing factor is us not speaking about positive self-worth. So, because th that discussion isn't had a lot of the time, it then leaves room for these social media channels and stuff to become what people are feeding off. So what can be done to change girls' opinions of their appearance? 
or to help them focus on things that are, at least in my opinion, more important? I think programmes that teach girls how to value themselves and not find their worth in other people, I think that's a really good way for girls to become, to get to a place where they value their own bodies more because we're caught up in a society where it's so easy to look externally and we don't look internally enough. So programs or just like courses or just subjects that teach girls to look internally, I think that would definitely help. And I think also as well, girls being able to see positive role models just around them, whether that be their teachers, whether that be their family members, whether that be external guests coming into the school. I think those would definitely, there's definitely some things that could support them. I think the curriculum, like using PSHE sessions to talk about these difficult and challenging subjects I definitely think I know some amazing schools that are doing this already but I think across the board it should be something that's more of a priority to just have lessons and have programs that are dedicated to helping girls look internally and actually helping them build their confidence and their self-worth. If you'd like to read more about supporting pupils with body image head over to our member website at oego.co forward slash body hyphen positivity. So for the second half of this podcast, I just wanted to give a trigger warning as we'll be discussing eating disorders, which some people may find quite hard to listen to. Gemma, lots of people have their own perceptions or views around what an eating disorder actually is. Can you talk us through some of the myths surrounding eating disorders? I think... um way back when they used to call it the the slimmers disease um years ago and and there was a real sort of misunderstanding that it was uh, a disorder that was born out of vanity and that is a massive massive myth luckily we've come a long way in understanding that it's it's really not about dieting or about wanting to look a certain way it's really a, a, a mental health um illness and i think a lot of people it's very difficult sometimes for people to understand why an eating disorder would happen. Um, you know, we need food to live and it's, you know, you need to eat, you need to drink, sleep. And it's it's one of the, it's, it's the biggest sort of part of our, our life. And so it's very difficult for people to understand why somebody would choose to stop eating, say if, if it was um, anorexia or why they would make themselves sick or why they would control certain aspects of food. But ultimately, it's not about the food. It's not about um, a diet. It's the food is, is, is the cause, not the symptom. It's an external expression of something that is internal pain. Um, so I think it's really important that um, you know we, we talk more and more about the, the, the severity of, of eating disorders. It's, it's not another myth that, that drives me bonkers is you know, that, that it's magazines and it's models and it's all of these people are to blame for, for the eating disorders. And, and it's not, it's, it's something that started in somebody's mind. Um, and also I, I genuinely believe that it's not a choice to have an eating disorder. I know when I developed an eating disorder when I was 10, I, I felt so scared and so confused about 
what was going on in my mind and why I was feeling the way I was feeling and why I was doing what I was doing. I didn't choose to go down that path. I didn't choose to nearly die four times. And I, and I certainly didn't choose to want to put my family through hell. Um, it's, it's a really cruel, cruel illness. And, you know, it's got the highest mortality rate of any other mental health illness. Um, 25% will die as a direct result of the eating disorder through a heart attack, through organs failing, through all sorts of awful, awful ramifications on the body, or they will die by taking their own life. And that's that's shocking. Um, you know, I, I, I talk to, to youngsters about the, the effects of, of an eating disorder and when I'm, I'm speaking in schools or wherever it might be, I, I say to them like, you know, one in four of you statistically will develop some form of mental health illness or eating disorder and that breaks my heart. So yeah, the, there has been a lot of, of myths and, and misunderstandings about eating disorders over the years, but I do genuinely feel that we're coming to a point now where people are really starting to, to talk more and take this more seriously we've still got a long way to go um but um as you can tell <laughs> me, me rambling on <laughs> um i won't stop talking <laughs> about it until we really start to understand what the eating disorder is really about and also start to understand what lengths we need to go to to help people in terms of early intervention and you know prevention and cure and how can you spot the signs of an eating disorder it's very, very difficult. Um, eating disorders, those suffering from an eating disorder become very, very clever and very secretive and can be quite manipulative with trying to hide the, the illness. Um, so it's, you know, because there's a lot of shame uh, attached around it for somebody who's suffering. And also the eating disorder is so powerful and, and clever that it, it it sort of coaxes you into to thinking that it's a friend when actually it's not. So, you know, one of the biggest signs is when somebody starts to withdraw within their self, with their personality. I know that I was always a, a bubbly, outgoing person, always wanted to, to play out, always wanted to, you know, go and see my friends and, and go to family events. And then bit by bit, I started to not want to do that. And it's kind of like a light sort of started to switch off in me um so sort of retreating and becoming more withdrawn is, is a big a big sign saying that you know hearing people say oh I, i'm not hungry i've already eaten before i you know came home or saying that they've gone round to somebody's for their dinner when they haven't um trying to get out of sort of social eating situations is a, is a massive sign when it comes to to bulimia, obviously, it, it sounds quite obvious, but but disappearing off to the bathroom, excessive showering so that they can um, hide the sound of them being sick. You know, all of these these little signs that you know you you might not think are, are really big. They're, they're the small small little nuggets, unfortunately, that that you can sort of use to to see that something is about to take effect really. And obviously there's there's the change in, in weight if it's somebody with anorexia, but also it's very difficult when it comes to bulimia or anorexia binge eating type because seemingly the person will be seen to be eating, but then obviously another warning sign is the excessive eating in their, in their habits. Um, so yeah, that it's all, it's all around sort of 
secrecy and um and trying to to keep away from from social um situations where the sufferer will be you know really scared and and feeling out of control that they they might have to eat or pretend to you know be okay but yeah that those are those are the first sort of warning signs really that i can think of finally what can schools do to educate children and young people and where can they go should they need extra support? Well, when um, when my anorexia developed at the age of 10, when we got down the line and um, I'd been turned away from the doctor because I wasn't low enough in weight, um, I was then low enough in weight to be nearly on my deathbed, but the referral and the waiting list and all the things that you would think, uh, you know, you should spring into action and, and get help immediately. Sadly, CAMS are very, very under-resourced. And we saw that there were massive, massive gaps in, in the system. And so my parents set up a helpline um, initially from our front room whilst I was still in hospital. Um, God love them. And that then came into... Um, developing into seed which is support and empathy for eating disorders and we became a registered charity and we've now been going um 20 years and we aim to bridge the gap where those services are lacking so we support the carers and the sufferers with um therapy with workshops with helpline with um email buddies text buddies um we we cover so much and we help thousands of people out there and one of the things that we've been developing is um an educational toolkit because one of the massive massive um things that are desperately needed with eating disorders is early intervention it really is key if if people can get help early on then the amount of expense in terms of resource and money but also in terms of the expense on their life like them possibly nearly dying is is massively massively reduced if the problem can be tackled early on so we came up with the idea of creating an educational toolkit which helps the teacher know how to teach safely and accurately about eating disorders body image and well-being to their students um and you know we're finding that the feedback is is unreal really um because the kids are now starting to open up if they are having problems they're starting to discuss they're starting to understand the severity of, of eating disorders and um i myself go into schools as well and um talk to them about my journey and and what i went through for 13 years and um you know if if we could get as many schools on board as we can to to invest in in this resource um i really believe it's something that could save lives um and that is through our um they can inquire about that through our website which is www.seedeatingdisorders.org.uk so it's a four lesson plan um and you know it, they are guided through it by seed and it's really for the magnitude of the effect that it could have on these young kids' lives, it's a very small price to pay. A huge thank you to Gemma, Ayo and Martin for joining us. One of the key things that I've learned from today's episode is that for all people, regardless of gender, we need to be taking the conversation away from appearance and focusing more on what really matters in a person. 
It's one thing supporting a person to make themselves feel better about their body, but we need to shift the narrative so that what matters most in a person is internal rather than external. And as we've seen, there's plenty of ways for schools to help their pupils do this. It's also essential that we're teaching our children from a young age to be able to talk honestly and openly about mental health, removing the stigma attached. Early intervention is key, and the earlier children are educated on understanding and recognising mental health disorders, the better the chance they have at getting help, should they need it before it's too late. Thanks for listening.